0: Jackson State adds a former University of Minnesota head coach to their coaching staff. How do Hampton and North Carolina A&T fit into the CAA? And then also Marquise Bell is turning heads at Cowboys training camp. Oh yeah, it's Locked on HBCU. Play my music. You are Locked on HBCU, your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. to their coaching staff. They just added former University of Minnesota head coach Tim Brewster on. And this is a move where you're talking about a guy who was a power five head coach. We're not just talking about some FCS level head coach. We're not even talking about a group group of five. We're talking about a power five head coach about a decade ago. So he's not that far removed and he stayed within the collegiate game ever since most recently. He was actually a part of the University of Florida coaching staff with Dan Mullen. But when everything turned around, you know, they brought in that guy, Billy, Billy Napier. I, I like Billy Napier. He's a good coach. But when they brought Billy Napier in, well, some of the people from the last regime didn't make it. And that's simply what happened to Brewster. So we have a head coach. We have also some positional experience. But in the time in between, there is a lot more to his resume. And let's look at specifically where he has been. So you're looking at his time at Florida State and Texas A&M. He was following Jimbo there. So he was at, well, I'll just say with Jimbo from 2013 to 2018. Then 2019, he went on to be a tight ends coach, assistant head coach, and a recruiting coordinator at North Carolina. He was just a tight ends coach with Jimbo at Florida State and Texas A&M. So you're looking at North Carolina stops, Texas A&M stops, and Florida State stops, including that stop in University of Florida. All of those places, he was a tight ends coach. So likely thinking would tell you he's going to be a tight end coach here as well. But here's the thing is there's already a tight ends coach there. Now, I don't know if and let's let's not forget to mention that Brewster also played tight end when he was playing collegiate ball. So. There's already a tight ends coach there, and I don't know if he's going to just be straight out replaced because it's not a vacancy. When they took the offensive coordinator and replaced him, they moved him to a wide receiver coach. I don't know where this guy will move, but what I do know is that whatever – that Brewster's focus is because he's been an assistant coach before so if Brewster is an assistant coach and not the tight ends coach because they just don't have a vacancy they don't want to replace that guy they want him there but they do want Brewster on the roster I mean on the coaching staff and he's an assistant coach it doesn't matter to me because his mission is going to be the same and that is going to be to help the tight end position and if you're looking for a crown jewel raise your hand if you heard of Kyle Pitts right pretty good tight end He's a pretty good tight end, and he was a pretty good tight end, I would say, before Brewster got there. But when you see when Brewster gets there, the increase in just the skill that begins to be developed and shown on the field with Brewster as the tight end's coach is at a next level. Let's look at what he's done. So in 2019, Kyle Pitt stats, this was as a sophomore, Kyle Pitt stats had 13 games played, 54 catches, 800, or excuse me, 649 yards, 12 yards per catch, and then five touchdowns. You look at the next year, this is the first year now. In 2019, no Brewster. 2020, Brewster. Now you're looking at 43 catches, 770 yards, 17.9 yards per catch and 12 touchdowns. So, you're looking at a drop of about 11 catches. You're looking at a gain of about 100 yards. So you're obviously going to have more yards per catch because it's less catches, more yards, and then you're also going to have an increase in touchdowns. Now, that's impressive. That's a jump, but it doesn't fully show how good Brewster was. He did all of those stats or got all of those stats in only eight games. When you look at Kyle Pitt's jump from his sophomore year to his junior year, the yards, the touchdowns, the touchdown is a big difference, but you look into the yards and the catches, it looks like a minimal difference until you factor in the fact that eight games were played his junior year. As, that's comparison to 13 games in his sophomore year. If you expand that out into 12 games, let's just assume that he plays the full regular season, but he doesn't go to the, uh, he doesn't go to the, to the bowl game or whatever. Right. So let's just give him 12 games. You're looking at a stat line. That's going to say 64 and a half catches, 1100 54 yards and a half. You can round however you want. Right. So you're looking at 64, 65 catches about 1155 55 yards. And you're looking at 18 touchdowns on the season. That's if he plays 12 games. You compare that, you're looking at 10 more catches, nearly doubling your yard total. You're tripling and some on your touchdown total. That is the effect of Tim Brewster. Now, one thing that's interesting is Tim Brewster, when you look at that, seems somewhat like a tight end whisperer. But there's just not many tight ends on this roster in last year. The tight ends were not used. They they totaled up together for about 12 catches for less than a buck fifty. So you're not looking at a very used position, but you're not bringing in a guy of Brewster's pedigree to help out a position that you're not using. That just doesn't make sense to me. So I don't find that likely. Now, they only have one on the roster right now. And in the air raid system that Brett Bartolone is going to be running, I don't really think tight ends. But this guy's about 215. Two At 215, you can move him around. He can be in a slot. He can be kind of a big slot guy. He can be somebody who gets in the quick screen action, get the ball in his hand. I could see that for him. And if you're going to have Brewster on the the coaching staff, you better find a way to use him somehow. Because you're not bringing in Tim Brewster to just sit around, help out your tight ends, and then not use your tight ends. There's a lot of skill going on right now. Or there's a lot of skill on the roster right now, excuse me. You better use it all. You got the coaching staff to use it. We'll be watching in the fall. We can talk about it right now, but in the fall is when it's really going to be when decisions are being made. Now, going forward, talking about decisions being made, we're going to be talking about how did Hampton and North Carolina A&T fit into the CAA. When they were talking about expanding, why were these two HBCUs a good fit specifically? But before we get into that, let me tell you about Built Bar because Built Bar is the best protein bar in the market, bar none. Listen, I I let my dad try that birthday Built Puff. said, I'm going to eat that every single day. I said, hold on, buddy. You got to say something for me. But that's what Built Puff will do to you. Try it one time and you're hooked. All right, it's that simple, but here's something else they have now. They have the Built Granola Bars, still covered in chocolate, still loaded with protein, very low on the calories and the sugar and the net carbs. So it's going to have everything for you. You have three flavors all based around chocolate. It's going to be covered in chocolate, like I said. Oh my, these are the same benefits. You have the Built Bars, the Built Puffs, and now you have the Built Granolas. I I don't know what they're going to do next they taking off, They taking over all the bars, right? All of the bars, granola bars, marshmallow bars, protein bars. They're doing it all at Built.com. Go get you something. Just go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCK15 for 15% off your offer. It's a smart thing to do. All right, so keep on rolling on today's episode of Locked On HBCU. Thank you for making us your first listen of the day. Every day, I appreciate it, and I have a favor to ask of you. I need for you to tell me what you like, what you don't like, when you're listening to your Locked On podcast. All around the, all around the network, doesn't have to just be me, but I will appreciate the, the criticism, right? But tell me what you like, what you don't like, what do you entertain with, what is something that needs to be stopped? We want your input, and here's your chance. Go to LockedOnPodcast.com survey right now to get started. It won't take long, and when you complete it, you actually enter and get a chance to win one of the 10 $100 Ticketmaster gift cards. So you can go to any event you want with that $100 Ticketmaster gift card. Just give us your input on what you think about the network. Now, our word of the day is behest. It is an authoritative order or an urgent prompting. Let's talk about the CAA. Because they detailed their expansion process, how long it took, how much planning went into it, what was there, what were they looking for? How does North Carolina AT and Hampton actually fit in? Because we know they're there. So obviously they fit into the plans. Obviously, this is something that both sides thought was a good mesh. But let's first look at the conference side because the CAA went through a real overhaul this season, this offseason at least. And you're looking at a situation where James Madison is boosting up. They're going to the Sun Belt. So they're going to the FBS level. And they didn't wait. Matter of fact, before James Madison left, or there's more teams in the, in the conference now as of today than when James Madison was there before they even decided to leave. So instead of losing a member and then going down, no, they lost a member and then they rose up and they grew the league. But this wasn't a reactive move. This was a proactive move before James Madison even announced that they wanted to go to the Sun Belt. They were looking at, I think they said it was a 16 month process. Looking through, they were calling people up. So now you're looking at, they added Stony Brook who was already playing football there, but now they have other sports there as well. Yeah, my mouth. And now we're looking at two schools in particular that fit our group and that's North Carolina A&T and then also Hampton. So how do they fit? What were the things that they were looking for within this 16 month process? Because let's remember, you're not making moves like this rushed. So this was 16 months, Just planning it out. There there were three factors that they were looking at. Geographical fit has or had to be an institution with strong academic background and reputation. And then also investing in a student athletes and also the athletic programs for the future. I won't speak too far on the latter because that's each school is different. How they do that is different. So I'm not going to really speak on that, but I will talk about the first two. And I'll start off with geographical fit, the range of the CAA is large. So they have a a wide base, we're talking about alumni base, fan base, recruiting base, all of these things come into play. And then also there have been discussions that we're going to have geographic scheduling where we split the conference in half in divisions. And that was something that was really appealing and it makes both sides attractive. But now let's talk about the academic side of things. We all know Hampton, they pride themselves on their academics. So. Yes, Hampton was automatically a school, and they're a special case, and we're going to get to that in a minute, but they're automatically a school. When you think about academics, yeah, Hampton definitely cares about that, so it makes sense. North Carolina A&T, they're very specific. They're an R2 institution, which is one of the highest rankings that you can be academically, but they're trying to get to that R1 status. Well, if you're already one of the best, and you're trying to get to another tier, you're trying to be on that top tier, well, I think that clearly fits the mold for what they want. But it's more than just being a a D1 or excuse me, an R1 school. It's it's greater than that because when you're talking about an academic institution, you're looking at schools who want to compete with others. They're looking for comparable institutions to be in the conference with. And that's something that you heard all of them, not just North Carolina A&T and Hampton talk about. You heard all of the schools that joined the CAA talk about this. It was kind of a common thread because- yes the conference wants them but they can't just make it happen at their own behest so you have to a want this team but then this team also has to be want, uh has the desire to be a part of your conference now why did that happen and that was mostly because all of their desires kind of lined up you look at geographical fit north carolina ant got a call and they said hey they talked about geographic scheduling and slicing up the division or slicing up the conference into divisions that's what made it appealing. Okay. So we have to at least make sure that we are doing that So my academic institutions. And that's something that really hammered home. Both Hampton and North Carolina A&T said, well, we want to have people who are comparable to us. We want to have people who are our peers. Right. And it's funny because Hampton is a special case. So I'm not really going to ha- hammer home on Hampton. Hampton been wanting to be here for 20, 30 years. This is where Hampton wanted to be forever. So they just finally got the chance to be here so we're not even really going to go too far on them because they already knew what they wanted to be it was just about having them get the opportunity that's what i mean the conference has to want you to be a part of it and you have to want to be a part of the conference for years hampton wanted to be a part of this conference but the caa just was not ready to expand or at least include i should say include hampton in their expansion now that the time lined up and everything you know was in perfect or excuse me in perfect order now it works but let's talk about north carolina T because i thought they had a couple of things that were interesting to speak on this. And they spoke about how they had a vision to become an R1 institution, right? We remember that. We talked about that. And this move should involve athletics and academics. We focus on athletics here. But this is a move that's going to impact everybody. And Hampton talked about it, too. They talked about how recruiting students, not just student athletes, was a big part of this decision. But we're talking about North Carolina A&T. And one thing I thought was interesting is they called themselves – or they call the schools in the CAA, their peers. And when I look at North Carolina A&T's viewpoint on all the other schools in the conference itself, they said, this is somewhere that fits where we are and also where we want to go. So I kind of think of it like, remember back in the day, depending on how old you are, right? Because you could be, could still be here. You know, shout out to my young listeners when I say this. But you remember when your, when your parents used to buy your school clothes and so- a while ago for a lot of us if they will always buy you something that was gave you room to grow in that's what it was it was right so it didn't perfectly fit you or maybe you know it didn't perfect it wasn't perfect but it fits you good enough and it fit where you were right now but they wanted you to grow into it so not only did it fit for now it also fit for later and that's kind of the way that north carolina T is looking at their addition and their fit inside the caa so you're looking at schools that had geographical fit or geographic interest, depending on which side you're looking at. Then also, it aligned with their academic standards, and they needed to make sure that they proved that they were invested in their athletic programs and their student athletes. All of those things lined up, and that's why you see Hampton and North Carolina A&T added to the CAA. Now, going forward, we're going to wrap up the show, and we're going to be talking about Marquise Bell because y'all know I love Marquise Bell. I think he's a phenomenal prospect, and it seems like a lot of people connected to the Dallas Cowboys are starting to believe the same. all right so wrapping up today's episode of locked on hbcu Marquise bell is making the dallas cowboy roster i'm not breaking no news here right i'm not not telling you what has happened i'm really just putting something into the air i tweeted this out the other day and i strongly felt it i, th- I think it was about a week ago but Marquise bell is making this dallas cowboy roster we putting that out there and trust me when it breaks you'll hear a finality in that statement it's not making it's made. Right. So, you'll know when I'm talking definitively, this has happened. And when it happens, trust and believe it will be the lead. It ain't going to be the, the end of the show It's going to be the lead segment. So we might even talk about the next day, but enough, enough gushing, because y'all understand I could come in here if it was at my behest, And part of it is. But I come in here and I talk about Marquise Bell all the time. Because I think he's a phenomenal prospect, and I can't wait to see what he does with the Dallas Cowboys. I ain't never said that about a Dallas Cowboy player, but I can't wait to what Marquise to see what Marquise Bell will do with the Dallas Cowboys. But I'm not gonna do that because that's not how the game works. You gotta have a reason, and the reason is I'm seeing more people talk about undrafted free agents that could make the roster in Dallas, and his name continues to come up. It's always at the forefront. Anytime Cowboys media, Cowboys fans have a discourse about. Who is going to make this roster that's an undrafted free agent? If you had to guess anybody, it is always Marquise Bell first. You know, we're not going to do always because that's an absolute. I'm going to say 93% of the time, it's Marquise Bell first. 100% for me in my eyes. I never see when it isn't. But we'll say 93 to be, to be safe. Marquise Bell is a phenomenal player, so the secret is out. Y'all know. I know you know. It wasn't going to be secretive for long. He got in the Cowboys camp and showed that Marquise Bell is a phenomenal player. He's a player who is worthy of being on a roster. So now everybody knows this. Everybody's seen it. And he had arguably the play of OTAs thus far for the Cowboys. It was a pass towards the in in, in end zone area, right? So it wasn't that far in the air. But he picked it off and returned it all the way for a touchdown, 98 yards. It was unequivocally the play of the day. And it could have been the play of the OTAs as well, depending on who you ask. But of that day, oh, for sure, it was the play of the day. And Marquise Bell is a player who I thought was very interesting. A lot of people felt was a late or day three selection, ended up going undrafted. So those type of players definitely get hyped up when you're looking at undrafted free agents. But more than that, there is something that I thought was interesting, and it's the fact that Cowboys media is saying, okay, he can make the roster. He can make the roster. He can make the roster. But now you hear Coach McCarthy saying, I was impressed. And the reason we're talking about it today is because today is the last day for the Dallas Cowboys OTA session number two. So we'll have to reevaluate what he looks like then. And I've kept an eye on him because, you know, I like the player. I think he's a a pretty good player. And I want to see what he's going to do. So I've been keeping my ear to Dallas Cowboys media and seeing it. Coach McCarthy said he was impressed. And then when I heard the Cowboys media say why he wouldn't make the roster, but then say why he wouldn't make the roster, I was interested. He wouldn't make the roster because it's a jam-packed position for the, for the Cowboys. There's seven safeties on the roster. So it's a lot of safeties there. It's going to be difficult. But I already talked about how his mentality towards special teams will, you know, endear him to the coaching staff and would really help him get a, a roster spot quicker. But in addition to that, they've already carved out a route for him, at least Cowboys media has. We're looking at a guy who is naturally a big, big safety. He's a natural tackler in the open field. He does well rushing. They said, well, put him at the big nickel. Let him be a hybrid safety linebacker type of player. And to me, I instantly think Keanu Neal when he was playing with the Falcons. Well, Keanu Neal was with the Falcons when Dan Quinn was with the Falcons. And Dan Quinn is now the defensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys. So you kind of already carved out where he could be. You already kind of carved out what the proper role to start off Marquise Bell's career would look like. It doesn't look like playing deep safety. It doesn't even look like playing deep in a two deep safety. Not even talking about standalone cover one, cover three type safeties. It doesn't even look like he's gonna be, you know, in a split safety type system. It's somebody who plays closer to the line of scrimmage because they feel like there's some technical technical issues that could be fixed rather quickly, but still issues nonetheless in his mechanics, as far as back pedals and things farther away from the line of scrimmage. Well, if you wanna get Marquise Bell on on uh, on the field immediately, you're doing that by using his physicality, using his ability to stop the run. You're doing those things right away because you feel like that can translate to the NFL quicker than his cover skills did while also having time to hone in on some of the technical aspects of covering. This is perfect. This is great. Now, when you tell me there's a lot of people at his position, That's sometimes the end of conversations, that's it. And we know Marquise Bell, it's a lot of safeties. I don't know if he's gonna make it, period, we're done. But when you say, I don't know if there's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of safeties, I don't know if he's gonna make it, but if he made it, you're looking at a route or you're looking at a, a role where he plays right here. Once you start crafting roles for players, now I'm more interested because the possibility of him making the roster feels more and more real by the day. We'll keep it covered. Y'all make sure y'all stay locked right here on Locked On HBCU, making us your first listen of the day every single day. Tomorrow's episode, we're going to have our feature Friday, so I cannot wait. I've been forgetting to announce it. We've been doing it, but I've been forgetting to announce it. So stay tuned tomorrow for our feature Friday. Now, for your second listen of the day, make sure you're checking out Locked On NBA Big Boards with Leif Thulin, Sam Ferris, Richard Stamen, and of course, Raphael Barlow, and they're going to be giving you everything that you need for the NBA draft, mock drafts. It does not matter. But of course, as the name suggests, they have to give you some big boards. So make, you, make sure that you're tuning into that on Odyssey, wherever you get your podcast, even YouTube. Make sure that you are tuning into Locked On NBA Big Boards. And if you want to stay up to date with me, y'all know where to find me on Twitter, at South Exclusives. Until the next time that we hear each other, family, take care, stay blessed. Peace.